Hello, and welcome to the podcast M&A Stories, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I'm Robert Heaton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Toby Tester. In these podcasts, Toby and I share our experiences on various projects that we've both been involved in over the course of our careers, talking about things that have gone well, things that didn't go too well, and things that just completely failed. The purpose of this is that we're hoping that our listeners will learn some valuable lessons from those experiences and that those lessons can be taken forward into your M&A projects. We hope you enjoy listening, so let's get this podcast underway. Hi, good morning, Toby. How are you? Oh, great, Robert. Great. Great Monday morning. Yeah, well, we're, as you might have seen, we're in lockdown in Victoria. Yeah. We're, we're all now, um, can only go out for four, four reasons. Really? Uh, what are those four reasons? It's got to be that you're a caregiver. Yeah. Uh, that you're an essential worker, and that means like an ambulance driver or, a, you know, medical right. professional it's for exercise but only within the parameters of your your home sort of thing yeah i, I uh, mentioned how they regulate that but anyway and, go on and, yeah. and it's for medical purposes okay All and right. interestingly i could tell you how they regulate it i i live right on the edge of the yarra boulevard here in melbourne right uh, and a couple of days ago i went out i was actually going to get a haircut mm. yeah Boulevard's a beautiful area, and I, I drove along the boulevard, got to, got to the end, and there was a police car parked there. And I got literally, they literally filtered us into a, a, a zone, stopped about twelve cars at a time, yeah. uh, and it was uh, you know, good morning, sir. Where are you going? Ah, um, okay. uh, and you know, I, I sort of said, I'm you know, just going to get a haircut, and this yeah. police sort of glanced in through the passenger window and said. Yeah, looks like you need a trim. On your way. <laughs> All right, there you go. Okay. The haircut police. <laughs> They're definitely stopping people. A bit like an RBT. Are you, are you is mask wearing now mandated down in uh, Victoria? Yep, as from uh, Thursday morning. I'm expecting it here in New South Wales. I've, I've got my masks. I went out and bought a whole load of them just in case. It was announced here, mandated, I think, two days ago. Okay. Uh, I went out yesterday to do our local shopping at a local supermarket, and I've got to say, Victorians are being very compliant. I would say, even though it's not in four 90% of the people that I engaged with yesterday were wearing masks. Yeah. No, no, I think it's entirely appropriate. It's, it's, it's the role of being a decent citizen, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's uh, right. I mean, yeah. If we all comply, we, we should mm. be... Yeah, I don't, I don't think... I, I, I cannot understand why anything to do with masks should be sort of political or anything like this. No, no, let, let the science drive it, and then, you know, if the science says we should be wearing masks, well, so be it. Yep, no, 100%. Now... I'm not going to give the game away about what this is about because I think it's so very quickly. But right. uh, so this was a large acquisition that you were dealing with. You knew the CFO well. Yes. Um, and there was one particular major part of the acquisition that they 
sort of missed. So why don't you set this up and give us the background to it? Yeah, I made the um, story sort of succinct and brief and, and to the point, but uh, this goes back a, a number of years ago now. I was engaged by this organisation to basically complete the deal and to finalise the integration strategy and plan. And, and the interesting thing is this was the largest acquisition that they've made in their corporate history. I mean, this organisation has been around about 140 odd years, but this right. was by far and away the biggest acquisition and most complex acquisition in their corporate history. It was an exciting time, but trepidation too. And I think there's always trepidation, especially when you're dealing with a deal of that of the size we're talking about here. And everybody wants to make sure that they're doing the right thing. That's One, the key. I mean, when you've got a big acquisition like that, particularly if it's the biggest one you've done, yeah. you want to make sure that you get everything right. Because exactly. uh, if you don't, then, you know, obviously one simple thing missed and, and the whole thing could go south if you're not careful. Absolutely, because, I mean, yeah. M&A is, is a massive uh, discretionary expenditure. We know that, you know, legacies and careers are all at stake here. You know, you want to make sure that you are doing everything you can uh, to make sure the deals with. And so people are, tre- you know, there is a element of trepidation. And is a reflection of that because... For this particular deal, they actually had a very long closing period. It was about five months overall, you know, from right. signing to closing, which is generally speaking, you know, usually you might close 30 days perhaps or maybe two weeks. It all depends on the details of the transaction itself. But generally speaking, if you've got a long closing period, it's, it's, it's a reflection of the complexity. True, true. Anyway, so I came on board and pretty much on the first day, the CFO, who I knew well, came to me and said, look, Toby, you've done this many times before. Take a look around. Tell me from your perspective, what are the things that we're not doing that could get us into trouble? So my job was actually to close it and to you know, get an integration strategy plan together. What is it that we're not doing? And That's very force, foresight of a, a, a CFO to look at it that way because it's, you know, you can often get caught up in the positivity of like, oh, everything's going great and so on. But for an executive to stop and say, okay, take another look and tell me if there's something that we're not doing, that's good foresight. It is, it is. And, and you know, it's great to sort of be given permission to have a look around and to sort of, you know, come back and, and speak yeah. very frankly about perhaps the things that, are, that they ought to be doing. And I had a look around, and there's a few small things that I could, um, you know, see that they were not doing, they could do, but these were minor things. Overall, I was actually quite impressed. I mean, they really did put a lot of effort to this. The teams were being created, that two major consulting businesses engaged, do a lot of the uh, grunt work. And, you know, and they had the governance. They were treating this very seriously, and they had the funding. So I was uh, impressed. And importantly, I should say, the people side of M&A, they're really putting a lot of effort into terms of making sure okay. the staff that are coming on board were going to be treated properly. And they had a dedicated change manager, they had a dedicated communications person, they had a strategy to deal with people. So I overall I was I was quite impressed. So if you were going through a typical MA sort of high level checklist, this sounds like it probably ticked all the boxes so far. It was ticking the boxes. They they basically strategically it was ticking boxes financially right. and in the people sense it was ticking a lot of boxes and I just couldn't assemble. You know, well, what else is there that you know could go wrong? So I think this is the reveal, Toby. So yeah. what? <laughs> okay, the big question is: Has anybody spoken to the customer? Ah, uh-huh. yes. 
my favourite topic. Yeah. <laughs> As anybody spoken of the customer, they say, yep. what an interesting thought. Anyway, let me, before I go into that, let me just explain what we mean by that. Has anybody spoken to the customer? I think it comes down to a kind of like an inherent weakness that I think we all have. It's, it's common. And I'll call it inside out thinking. Yep. Now, this is a natural default position that we find ourselves in all times. And it's not just in MA, but it's in things in general. We have a default mode of working. It means that when we do things, we think about things, whether we're designing processes, systems, or products, it's all based upon an internal logic. We have our internal hypotheses as opposed to what we think customers are looking for, you know, what we think that their needs and wants are, or their motivations. And we have this logic, which generally speaking, we go along with and we say, yeah, 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 that's what customers will want. And then when we make decisions, it's based upon this internal logic. Now, that's inside out thinking. And that's what I think that was happening in this case. Now, the opposite of that is outside in thinking, which yep. is doing the same thing, thinking, designing processes, systems and products. But you do it from a customer's perspective. So in other words, what you do is you go out and you work hard to say, well, who is the customer? What do they want? How do they motivate? How do they behave? How do they, you know, what are their motivations? What are their pain points? What are their pain relievers? And then you make decisions based upon what is best for the customer. Absolutely. And by the way, it's just as an observation on that, inside out thinking isn't wrong. It's a good starting point often, yeah. but actually engaging the customer in that process yeah. and seeking their opinions and views mm. is, is critical because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to pay you money for your product. And they're the ones that are going to help <laughs> you make this successful. Indeed. And I, and I think on that point, I think when it comes to m and I think this is a kind of like, and I'll just make this as a simple statement and I'll just it's got it exactly how I've said and written about this before. Unlike business assets, customers cannot be bought or sold in the same way. So if you're making a yep. deal, your hope is that when you make that acquisition, that customers will come along. It just can't be taken for granted. I love it. I love it. That that wraps it up in exactly. <laughs> That's, uh, yep, no, go for it. I'd make it even more succinct than this. The yep. customer is the final arbiter of an acquisition success. They will decide for you whether the deal that you made, the acquisition that, and the integration was successful or not. Yeah, I'd I, I, I had a point here as well. This, mm. is for another, this is a topic for another podcast. But the one thing you can be certain when you make an acquisition, and particularly a large one, is as soon as your competitors get wind of it, they'll be all over your customers like a rash. Spreading all sorts of mistruths about how this acquisition is going to be a disaster and that they should move to them. And, and you, you've got to be careful because you could lose indeed. a fair amount of your customer base. Indeed, indeed. And that's, that's a, it's, uh, it's in interesting, that one, because I've had experience on that one before. And that's a separate podcast, to be honest. It there. is. It is. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. But also points to something that we're talking about here, and that is actually having that kind of dialogue with the customer to understand where they are as we go through the journey because those that will change as you go through an acquisition and into the integration so what was the cfo's reaction to this okay well i 
I sat down and I had a chat with him. I said, look, you're dealing with a whole new customer group here. It's a diversified deal. And it's a very large and new customer group. In actual fact, we're dealing with potentially about 50,000 new oh. customers. Yeah. It's okay. A very yeah. large, yeah. yeah. And I said, to, I said to the CFO, look, you don't want to be falling into the danger of this inside-out thinking trap. And the CFO was quite interested. He said, no, he was a bit surprised. Said, it's interesting that no one spotted the problem before. He said, you know, he knew that this was an important deal. You know, Korean legacies were at stake, and he saw and understood the potential danger we're going to fall into, that we could end up going through a major acquisition, a major integration, and end up with disenfranchised customers. You know something that's just occurred to me, and I'm, I'm, yeah. we, we won't restart this podcast at the beginning, but... <laughs> But it's your yeah. point about inside-out thinking. You become blinkered. You you actually become blind to the external factors that can um, cause such such damage to a deal. Yeah. Anyway, look, the CFO really took this on board, and so what what I did in in conjunction with the CFO is that we we agreed to appoint a customer advocate someone who could represent the needs, the interests, and the wants of the customer during yep. the deal closing period and through to integration. So effectively, this customer advocate represented these 50,000-plus new customers that were going to come on board. That was Excellent. one thing. Great. The next thing that we did, and I, I, this was a really good thing to do, is we kicked off a customer experience review. In other words, what are the current experience that customers have with the, with the firm that we're acquiring, and then start understanding what that looks like and then see what impact that might have on the target operating model that we'd already developed. So this allowed us to just start doing gap analysis to say, well, look, this is what the current customer experience is. This is what the target is we want to do. And then we can start saying, well, what is the gap between customer service, value proposition, our brand promise and our engagement. So it, it, it conjured up a whole set of activities that perhaps weren't being addressed that yeah. we needed to address as we went through closing the deal and into integration. And then what triggered off after that was, hey, well, let's start actually getting talking to these customers, their representatives, and start running some workshops and say, well, look, what is the experience like for the customers? What are the opportunities that we could perhaps uncover and, and put into the whole integration effort. Did that make any major change to the integration model as you were planning it, to do? Yes, it did. And actually, it was quite quite profound because a couple of things. First of all, it did change the target operating model. And were, there was a number of changes that were made. And obviously, that changed the integration program. But the other thing it did is it enabled us to review, well, basically update our revenue synergy forecast. Because the revenue synergy forecast Previously, that was just purely a spreadsheet exercise. But now we actually had real information coming from the customer yep. that we could actually put into that revenue synergies. And that allowed us to actually come up with a whole new set of revenue synergies that I we mean, could potentially uh, deliver I'm, upon. I'm intrigued on that. Did it actually increase or decrease the revenue expectations? Increase. That's the nature of these beasts, I think, is that often, particularly pre-deal, you tend to downplay revenue synergies. Because yep. obviously, you, when you're doing synergy analysis, you're really only baking in those synergies that allow you a deal to get across the line. But of course, this was now the deal had signed. 
So in actual fact, we're actually covering more now, which is positive and is exactly what you should be doing. Absolutely. So overall, it was a major overhaul of the internal integration program and a thoroughly worthwhile one too. And so th there were some good outcomes from this. I think, first of all, the customer representatives were delighted that they were actually even speaking to them. They thought, whoa, this is a bit of a surprise. Yep. <laughs> that was good. And they enjoyed the one-to-one -one sessions. The they, 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 could be, they could be such a valuable source of information Absolutely. and value creation. Exactly. Yeah, no, definitely. Yep. Happy to talk to them. The CFO was delighted and the board were delighted because there was a certain level of enthusiasm, large due to the fact we're actually engaging. You know, we're really engaging yeah. in a big way with the customers. And so this just meant overall that we weren't getting a large group of stakeholders being alienated because otherwise that's what would happen. They would have been alienated. So it was going to be a much smoother integration. And I think ultimately it gave the whole integration program a fresh impetus. You know, you know everybody wants to do the best. But when we say the best, what we were looking for is the best for the shareholders. Obviously, there's a financial incentive. We want to do the best for the staff and make sure the staff are careful. But above all, and importantly, the customers too. So yep. it's that tripartite, shareholders, staff and customers, making sure that they're all, as those key stakeholder groups, are all being looked after. And if you think about it, that should be a uh, foundation stone of any M&A. You should be looking Indeed. at your customers as a key asset group that's going to help you with value creation. It, it, it is. And I, I think sometimes the way M&A has worked, because, you know, you and I have been involved in this for you know, a good couple of decades, Robert. You know, originally it was all very much around shareholder, you know, and oh, shareholder yeah. needs. And then it took a while before we started thinking, well, what about the staff, you know? And, of course, yeah. great strides have been made over the past couple of decades, making sure that yeah. staff are properly cared for because we realised that culture... The, the morale of staff is so critical when it comes to doing this. Which is but, great. And I think what the point you're alluding to there is that until fairly recently, it yeah. has been very much an inside-out approach. Yes, it has been. Um, and I, I hasten to add that I think a good majority of deals still are driven primarily from an inside-out logic, yeah. um, um, and they don't get validated with an outside-in view. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, again, for another podcast, but I've got a view as to why that might be the case. But anyway, <laughs> another another story for another time. Um, so let, let's let's move on. What, what's the key lessons, Toby, from this one? Key, key lessons, yes. I'd say three things. For M&A deals, obviously, you need to be financially obsessed. Fine, we understand that. M&A deals also need to be staff-obsessed making sure that people are there to drive profitable success. You need to yep. be obsessed by the staff. M&A deals also need to be customer obsessed because they are the final arbiter of an acquisition success. Uh, sorry, I'll stop you to your stride there, but I, I really love the idea of obsessed. Financially <laughs> obsessed, staff obsessed, and, and customer, customer obsessed. obsessed. I yeah. love it. I love it. So I think that, you know, to be successful in M&A, it, it, it does come down to having an obsession. It's unrelenting. It's something you have a perennial focus. It's just that if you take a financial perspective, you are unlikely to be successful in the long term. Funny enough, it's sort of a paradox, really. You have to be staff obsessed too. But then above all, you need to be customer obsessed. So you've got to keep the, the balance between all three major stakeholder groups to be successful in MNA. So look, I'll say very briefly, four key lessons for the story. One, make sure you've got a customer uh, advocate with a seat at the M&A table. So that's one. Two, 
talk to your customers before inking a deal. Make sure that if you're contemplating a deal, particularly if it's a diversified deal with a whole new customer group, have a chat with those people just to make sure that as part of your due diligence, that your internal hypothesis on this um, deal is actually correct. Thirdly, make sure you're always delivering customer value as part of your integration. So in other words, when you're doing integration plans, make sure that you're focusing on delivery of customer value. And lastly, measure customer engagement, making sure that as you're integrating, that you're always measuring the customer touch points, understanding that what they, how their customer experience may be changing during the integration process. But above all, you're actually measuring it. I love it. I love it. I'm going to summarize that. Make sure there's a, cust- <laughs> Make sure there's a customer advocate. Talk to customers before you close the deal. Build customer value into the integration plans and measure customer engagement. Correct. Perfect wrap-up, Toby. I think that really is succinct. And it, it, it's got me thinking because I think there's uh, another podcast that I could do next week that actually leads on from this. <laughs> And, I think, um, yeah, I think it's, in many ways it's the tip of an iceberg. But you know, let, let's let's start going into new levels on the the role of the customer in M and A. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's a wrap. Okay. Um, do you want to close us off this week? Yes. So, Robert, always good to talk. And this week's been about customers and customer experience and speaking to the customers. It's an incredibly important topic. So it's great opportunity to talk about it with you, Robert. And uh, looking forward to uh, next week's podcast on another topic maybe about customers again but it's goodbye and it's goodbye from me